Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Midweek in the Word, presented by Faith Bible Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. My name is Jared Erke. I am the technical coordinator here at Faith Bible Church. Some of you might know me as the voice of our podcast, and, and I am thrilled to have the opportunity to host yet again this week. Um, our regular host, Adult Ministries Pastor Brad Myers, is here today, but one of our other regulars, our preaching pastor, Pastor Tom Rempel, had a personal matter that kept him from being with us, so yours truly, has been called up from the minors to host, and it is my honor to be joined by our adult ministries pastor, Pastor Brad Myers. Hello, Brad, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jared. Uh, I appreciate it, and I I appreciate your willingness to step up uh, and step in for me this week. Uh, It should be a good time, though we're missing Tom a little bit on the podcast, obviously. Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for calling me up. Absolutely. Uh, So now normally at this point in the podcast, uh, we take some time to reflect on this past weekend's message. Um, This year, Faith Bible Church is taking a journey through the entire Bible, and we're calling the series Route 66, Snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. Along the way, we are discovering the character and qualities of God, finding out about ourselves as His created mankind, and noting how all the text ultimately points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And last week, we found ourselves primarily in the book of 1 Kings as Pastor Tom preached on the person of Solomon. Even though he's not joining us today, Tom wanted to share some insights he noted from studying the king of Israel's golden age. So, what did we learn about God on Sunday? Tom says, we have seen once again that times will change, circumstances will change, and even the people of God's appointment change. But God and his purposes never change. Three kings in a row have begun well and stumbled halfway through. We see that God works his own theocratic rule through human agency by covering and empowering them with his spirit and wisdom. We also see God is enormously gracious. And and moving along, um, we asked him, what did last week's message reveal about man or us? He said, we see that even the best of men are but men at best, prone to rebellion and susceptible to the downward pull of sinful temptation, radically and totally dependent upon God's grace. And so finally, how did last week's message point us to Christ? Um, Here, Pastor Tom noted the quote-unquote three priceless treasures that were given to us by King Solomon, the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, which is also sometimes referred to as Song of Solomon. Proverbs describes the wisdom of God, Ecclesiastes points us toward the life of God, and Song of Songs paints a picture of the love of God. Now, now, last week, Pastor Brad, Pastor Tom, and Pastor Troy discussed the genre of poetry in Scripture. This week, we are going to take a look at a similar genre from the Bible. It's related to the genre of poetry, but it is also very unique. As was the case last week, it's also very much related to our biblical character from Sunday, Solomon. This week, we are talking about wisdom literature. So, Brad... Calling you up here, what is the literary style or genre of wisdom literature, and how do we know when we've come across it? Yeah, uh, wisdom literature, uh, the, that style or genre of scripture, which is pretty prevalent 
uh, really throughout the books, especially of the Old Testament, is is the highly practical advice um, that's drawn from observation of creation. Uh, since God created the world, he set it up in a certain way. Um, and so by observing creation, uh, the wisdom literature then gives us insight into how we can live well, uh, live uh, wisely in God's world. Uh, we tend to think of wisdom literature in intellectual terms, knowledge that I need to obtain but most often, wisdom literature will focus on what we need to do in light of what we know. Uh, I'll give you an example. that it's a, it's a quote I ran into when I was teaching on the book of Proverbs um, a, a few years ago, and, and I just loved it so much that, that, I, that I wrote it down. It, it goes something like this. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. And philosophy is wondering if that makes ketchup a smoothie. That it really stuck with me because I, I like the way the the author and again I think it's a I don't think I can credit anyone I, I don't remember who wrote it but it really it emphasizes what we see in wisdom literature where where we can have the knowledge but unless that knowledge is applied to doing the right thing not putting in a fruit salad um, mm -hmm. it's it's not wisdom and that's that's the vibe we get from wisdom literature in scripture. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do we know when we've come across that in the Bible? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question uh, because this one is a little bit trickier uh, maybe than poetry that we studied last week, where we a lot of times have it separated off or sectioned off so that we can see it. Most often, wisdom literature is identified by the presence of memorable or pithy sayings that provide uh, quote unquote rules to live by. Um, as, as in the Proverbs, the, the classic example for most people. But it can also present in other literary forms, such as poetry uh, in the Psalms or narrative uh, with the book of Job, uh, when the purpose of the writing is to give us insight into how to live wisely and practically in God's world. So, so when we start coming across those kind of ideas, um, this, this idea of this is the way God has designed the world to function um, how can we live with wisdom in light of that? Uh, that's when we're probably dealing with something in the wisdom literature category. Mm -hmm. And I, you already touched on it a little bit, but where is this generally found in the Bible? Yeah, um, what would be familiar to many, um, and you know, Tom even referenced it in his notes on last week on on Solomon. It's it's most often found in the writings of Solomon, the book of Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Um, but it's interesting that you'll also find wisdom songs in the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's used by the prophets in the Old Testament, and even to some degree, um, the the wisdom tradition of two paths especially comes up a lot in Christ's parables. Um, finally, some would even say that much of the book of Job is, is intended to be understood as wisdom literature and kind of balance what we find uh, in the book of the Proverbs, especially. Mm -hmm. So this, this wisdom literature is another style that is probably pretty unfamiliar to most of us today. So what are the biggest obstacles you think we face when it comes to interpreting wisdom literature in the Bible? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think you put it really well uh, and that it primarily is because it's unfamiliar to us. Uh, most of the issues that I see people wrestling with on the subject of wisdom literature come from trying to read um, the Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or another book like that, um, more like a New Testament epistle than by wisdom sayings um, or then 
than we would think of it that way. An example of that might be um, a modern day um, wisdom saying, if you will, uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Now, naturally, we understand this to be, you know, generally true, but we we don't look to make it always the case, and we don't go around looking for exceptions to the rule. Uh, in a lot of ways, if we approach the biblical wisdom literature much the same way, uh, we kind of overcome that obstacle a little bit uh, when we approach it as it was intended to be approached, rather than approaching it as some of the other categories of of Scripture, particularly the New Testament epistles that we're more familiar with. Uh, and I think I think that leads to a, a few really common mistakes that I see people make uh, when it comes to this literary style. Um, the first would be uh, taking the Proverbs or taking the wisdom literature as as guarantees. Uh, you know, there'll be comments made like uh, if, you know, a, a diligent person will, will come out ahead or, you know, I think of uh Proverbs 13, 4, where it says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Um, and if we take it as a guarantee, we'd say, well, if we're diligent, we'll be richly supplied. Um, and it's, it's, it's not intended to be taken that way. It's more of a, a general principle. Um, and so when we take them as guarantees, we tend to run into issues. Um, we also run into issues when we isolate them from the rest of Scripture, you know, when we just look at this part and don't look at other aspects, you know, I mentioned that when it comes to the book of Job, that while, while Proverbs seems to indicate that by behaving correctly, by, by investing correctly, by managing our money well, things will turn out well. And in a lot of ways, the book of Job shows us that even though Job was doing a lot of wise things, um, tragedy befell him. Um, and so it kind of balances that when we look at the rest of Scripture, and then not everyone who's called wise in scripture, things always go their way all the time. Uh, thirdly, I think one of the common mistakes is we assume all of these principles are, are universal um, when they're really more intended to be practical and they're to be memorable and to be pithy um, rather than to always be true. Um, so we don't go around looking for exceptions to the rule. We just take them at, at value and, and extract the principle from them. Um, and then finally, uh, I think similar to what Troy spoke to last week in the poetic language of poetry, uh, we run into trouble when we, be, when we miss the metaphors. There's a lot of metaphor. There's a lot of imagery um, to help us remember the principles from wisdom literature. And if we don't understand what it's saying, we're, we're going to miss the meaning. Um, one of the things that Proverbs said is um, it likens um, adultery and lust to a man setting a fire in his own lap. Uh, kind of idea, and if you if you miss kind of the imagery of the fire, um, there you're going to miss you're going to miss what the the proverb is really speaking to. And so I think I think those are you know the big obstacles and the the common mistakes I've seen people make when it comes to wisdom literature. Mm -hmm. um, I heard a youth pastor say once that most religions have wisdom writings or something of the like. Uh, I guess first of all, is that true? Uh, would you say? And what makes the wisdom literature in the Bible unique? You know, that's that's a good question, Jared. And, and I must confess that I'm not familiar enough with other religions or wisdom writings that I can say for certainty uh, whether that's true or not. Maybe, that, maybe that's a question we ask for Tom when, he, when he's back on the yeah, podcast okay. next week. Right. Uh, but we'll make, but as far we'll make as, a note. There you go. There you go. As, as far as what, what kind of sets wisdom literature and scripture apart, uh, what I expect would, would set it apart from others is the way it approaches uh, wisdom. Um, it really, in and especially in the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Scripture sets up wisdom as proceeding from God. 
um, that God is the author of wisdom. God set the world in motion in creation, and therefore he set the paradigm for what is wise living. Um, Proverbs 1, uh, in, its, in its introduction, kind of the whole book, especially in verse 7, after saying, we're seeking wisdom, we want to have prudence, and we want to be wise. Um, but verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And, and it really, all of wisdom literature and scripture really sets that paradigm um, that wisdom is from God. And so therefore, our relationship with God, our understanding of God, is critical to it. You know, you even think of the way the book of Ecclesiastes wraps up in the final two verses in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, after all that the author of Ecclesiastes has said is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So while it's intended in its, in its uh, instruction to be very practical in our lives, Ultimately, what sets biblical wisdom literature apart is it founds all of that, that practical living in an understanding of who God is and what he wants for his people. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's tempting to just read that last verse and say, I don't need to read the rest of it then? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it is. Uh, and I, I must confess, you know, Ecclesiastes, if, if our listeners have not read it or are unfamiliar with that book, it can be a a sobering and almost depressing book to read at times as, as the author wrestles through some really difficult, difficult things. And so, yeah, I think there is a tendency, you know, to end on a good note and, and just, just want to resolve things. Um, but yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And I think you already touched on this, but like, what are some key interpretive principles that do you think we need to keep in mind when we come across this kind of wisdom literature? Yeah, I kind of mentioned it a little bit. Like you said, uh, the big one, I just, I just want to restate it, is remembering that these are not promises from God. Wisdom literature is not intended as divine rules of an A plus B equals C. If I do this, God will do this for me. And again, you know, the book of Job really highlights that. And so as we're reading through the wisdom literature, it's important to remember that they're not promises um, and, you know, and handle them accordingly. Sick, secondarily, um, I, I would say, you know, again, like like poetry, uh, do the work of of overcoming the contextual gaps. There's there's a lot of challenges, and we talked about context and specifically cultural and historical context a couple of weeks ago. Um, that is really critical in the wisdom literature too. There are a lot of things that, when you're talking practicals of life. Um, we kind of take for granted with our culture and, and the author obviously lived in a culture very distinct from ours. And so similar to the flowery language of poetry, but other, other places in scripture as well. Um, sometimes we have to do a lot of work to understand what was going on. How did households run? Uh, how did businesses run? You know, because it's so different than maybe the way things work for us today in 21st century America. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, let's let's try and get a little more practical for our listeners and, and take a look at an example of this in Scripture. And I believe you've chosen to look specifically at Proverbs 22, verse 16. Yeah, I you know, Proverbs 22, verse 6 is, is what I had in mind. Um, oh, yeah, um, sorry. I, I, no, 20, no 22, worries. verse 16. <laughs> no to, worries my, at all. My, my LASIK is failing me here. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I... 
I, I picked this one because I, I think, you know, as we're talking practically about Proverbs, this is this is one of the passages that I've heard uh, misinterpreted and misrepresented even even by leaders in churches at times. Um, and, and probably our listeners are familiar with this concept of, you know, Proverbs 22, 6 is train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, so I thought that'd be a good one to take a look at today. Okay, so how do we know this is? Li- so let's just start with this question, um, with this verse, Proverbs twenty two six. How do we know this is wisdom literature? First, of yeah, all? Um, you know the first the first indicator, and maybe the most obvious is its presence in the book of Proverbs. You know, Proverbs is wisdom literature in its entirety. Uh, secondarily, we notice kind of the the form that it's in. Uh, similar to the poetry, it's indented in scripture or probably in your Bibles. Um, it's got kind of this two stanza um, form that we get used to both in poetry and and in wisdom literature, where you get kind of this, this comparison or this explanation that goes beyond. So the first part being train up a child in the way you should go. What, what do you do? And What's the result? Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It, it kind of, it kind of, that that cadence that that Troy talked about last week. We see that a little bit. It's it's memorable. It's an observation of the way life works. It's it's again, it's pithy in that it's easy to kind of call to our memory. Um, so you, we note some of those things, um, even if we weren't in the Book of Proverbs, and we go, I'm probably dealing with uh, a general practice and practical advice for how to live my life here. Mm-hmm. And so what noteworthy things would we observe about this passage when we're reading it? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of that twofold thing. You know, we'd want to look at the two parts and say, how do the two parts interact with each other? Uh, some of the Proverbs really speak to just observations of the way life works. This one really more has a bit of a, um, uh, advice for, for living this way or a moral connotation to it. It's so, so train up a child in the way he should go. Okay. What ought the person to do? If you train up a child in the way he go, should go, what will likely be the result? Even when he's old, he will not depart from it or, or it will be stuck in his memory, what you trained him up in. So we'd, we'd observe that that's what's going on here. It's the, the author of the proverb is, is advocating training up children in, in God's law, in the way they should operate. Um, some would even argue from this one that we're talking about in their own personal bent, training them according to their personality and their, um, their you know, kind of bent, but ultimately according to God's word. Um, and then the, the implication of that is even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Though again, remembering that this is wisdom literature here and what God is not giving parents is a promise that if they do things right, God will make sure that their children um, do not depart from or become believers kind of connotation, but more the general pattern that we see God choosing to work in his sovereignty is saving children through the faithful gospel work of their parents in their lives. And so as parents, we ought to be striving to train our children up in the way they should go, um, because most generally God has chosen um to call people out of faithful families or to, to reproduce his um, uh, believers in the children of his people. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say God is trying to convey to us yeah. here in this verse? Yeah, I think, you know, it's like many of the Proverbs, it's it's fairly straightforward. It's fairly simple. 
Um, the concept is make every effort as a parent to train your children um, in God's way. You know, the, this idea of paths and way uh, comes up a lot in Proverbs that there are two paths. You know, there's the godly path and there's the foolish path. Um, and so train your children, uh, equip them, discipline them, disciple them to, to understand what God's intent and God's will is for their life, to understand the gospel. You know, I've heard it, I've heard it said well um, that we can't light the fire in the heart of our children. Ultimately, um, God's sovereignty of grace is there, and ultimately that child has to make their own decision. But what we can do is we can stoke the fire, you know, and I think I think that's what it's really speaking to here. Um, take every opportunity to try to train your children and prepare their hearts um, for when that fire is lit in, in their own lives. Another thing that just kind of popped into my head as you're talking about this is just as we look or think about wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs specifically is the idea that that God really does care about our everyday activities. He's not just a God of the big, the big milestone moments in our lives. And um, I, I guess, do you have any other final thoughts on this? No, you know, I, I think that's a really good, um, good reminder. You know, Jared, I it's. It's easy because, you know, as we're reading through narrative, a lot of times what we see is the major milestones in people's lives. You know, David becoming king, David running from Saul, um, Solomon's interaction with God, being granted wisdom, and then his failure. We see these big, big moments. Um, and Proverbs really um, speaks to how to live for God in the moment-to-moment -moment minute details of life. And, you know, Ecclesiastes even, even gives us permission um, to live as humans and to enjoy God's good creation moment by moment, um, not 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 doing away with the big things, not doing away with the gravity of life and the big moments, but recognizing that a life is the culmination of a lot of small moments too, and we can live for God in those small moments. We can live wisely in in those small moments. You know, think of where the New Testament speaks to whatever you do do it unto the Lord. And I, I think that's a really good reminder for people. Um, other, other thoughts on Proverbs, you know, or not Proverbs, but wisdom literature in general that I would encourage people to is, is this is another good form of meditation literature, you know, just like poetry. It's, it's not about getting through as much as possible, especially if you're reading through the book of Proverbs, slow down, consider. Uh, sometimes it's better to, to take one proverb that really struck you um, and mull it over and consider the implications and, and spend a lot of time dwelling on it than it is to, to move through as much as you can as quickly as possible. Um, I know one of Tom's favorite comments to make is take Proverbs that's 31 chapters long um, and, and read a proverb, a chapter of Proverbs a day. You know, so some months you'll have 30, some months you'll have 31, except for February, obviously there. Um, but I think that's really good advice, you know, just read through it and whichever proverb in that chapter really strikes you and challenges you, spend some time meditating on it. It's not, it's not a, a part of scripture to be, to be rushed through or to be conquered. Uh, it's really something to be meditated on and lingered on. Um, that's when the fruit really comes out of it, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, Pastor Brad, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this. Um, it's been a really great discussion. Well, so now, now is the time where we usually look ahead to next weekend's message 
And obviously, Pastor Tom isn't here to give us the sneak preview himself, but again, he was gracious to pass along what he would have us consider as we look ahead to next Sunday, when he will be examining the great prophet Elijah. Um, We asked Tom what he is most looking forward to about this weekend's message, and his response was, Brad, feel free to jump in if you're, you know, excited about something too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tom said, well, the tale of the kings now has gone from bad to worse. Now the voice of the quote-unquote prophet is a focal point. The courage and clarity of the mountain man from Transjordan Hill country is shocking, and the humanity of the great Elijah is also graphic. And when we pressed him about interpretive questions he is wrestling with, he said that his biggest question right now is the question of how are we to focus our attention on this? Are the evils of King Ahab and his scary bride Jezebel the highlight, or are they the background on the canvas that focuses on Elijah? Or is it something else? And finally, when we asked him how we could best prepare our hearts for the message, uh, he advised, as we read 1 Kings 17 through 18, or as you read 1 Kings 17 through 18, try to imagine yourself in their trying situation. In light of the fear, uncertainty, and altered lifestyle brought suddenly on us with COVID-19, what would it be like to have this trial extended for three and a half years? Mm. Where will we find hope and comfort when all human effort to resolve impossible situations has failed? And uh, that's it for this week. Um, Thank you all so much for joining us today on Midweek in the Word. Um, For more information, please check out our website at faithbiblelincoln.org. Find us on Facebook at Faith Bible Church Lincoln, Nebraska, or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at FBC Lincoln. You can also sign up for our sermon podcast feed by searching for Faith Bible Church Lincoln, Nebraska, wherever you get your podcasts, and find the one that has the black box with the white letters. And don't forget, if you're following along with our weekly reading plan, please be sure to read 1 Kings 17 through 19 to prepare for this week's message. If you're interested in more information on the genre of wisdom literature, we would recommend you check out the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon and Fee. Uh, We also want you to know that we are continuing to work towards that wonderful day when we'll finally see our church doors open back up, and we are targeting June 7th as the first Sunday that we hope to have at least one in-person service open to the general public. What a wonderful day that will be, Brad. Amen. (laughs) Yes, we are certainly very excited about that, so stay tuned and stay encouraged. Uh, Please know we will be praying for you as you navigate yet another week, and we hope you join us again here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.